This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. Do you have a Bible today? Anybody have a Bible? Do you have a Bible? I want to encourage all the single people in this room. If you are looking for someone just to, to date, if you're of that age where you're like the right age to date, which is, if you're my daughter, that's 30. Uh, um, if you're my son, it's 19. And, uh, but um, if you're looking to date, look, date, look for someone with a, with a Bible that's really written up, marked up well. Because I've learned that if you have a messy Bible, you don't have a messy life. If you've got a Bible that is marked up, you probably got a life that is prayed up. And I just want to encourage you, just look around and find someone with some highlighters, some old school highlighters, some pen marks. That's the person you ask for coffee. That's free right there. That'll help you right there. My wife's Bible is marked up. And because of that, I am thankful. Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read three verses, starting in verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, and I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Look at your neighbor and say anything. Instead, pray about everything. Look at your neighbor and say everything. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. For the next few moments, I want to talk under this topic, this title. You'll see it behind me if you're taking notes today. Under pressure. Look at your neighbor and say, I think you might be. Say with your neighbor, I think you might be. Under pressure. How many are hearing a David Bowie song right now in their head? Under pressure. No, we're, we're not that church. All right. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for everyone that showed up today. God, I thank you that you're here. And God, that you love people. And Father, thank you that you are building your church and we get to be a part of that. I pray these next few minutes, Lord, would be more than just information. God, we're asking, Father, like we've already experienced today in the coffee and in the greeting and in the worship, your presence calling us further along in this journey with you. God, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that you help us, you fill us, you encourage us. Father, I pray these next few minutes, Father, you would take us higher in you. We leave here more like you, more in love with you, and Father, ready for your plan for our life. And everybody said? Yeah. Everybody said? Yeah. Childhood memories. Uh, I'm always amazed as a parent uh, of now a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old of what memories are going to stick and what memories won't. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, because sometimes you make a mistake or maybe you just let things go. You're like, I wonder if they're going to remember that when they're older, like when you drop them. I remember me and Nancy were, were at a conference and we're in the hotel and Josh was on the bed. He would have been maybe one and it was this huge bed and he was on the bed and I thought she had him and she thought I had him and he was kind of bouncing on the bed and next thing you know, he fell off the bed and bumped his head and didn't call the doctor in the morning and he, and he just literally fell off the bed. I remember thinking, is he going to remember that? I don't think he does, but it's amazing what memories stick or when you forget to pack lunch for school or when you leave them behind at Walmart, not that we did that, Josh, or, you know, what memories, you spend money on certain things going, is that, are they going to even remember this birthday party when they're five, like, like the superhero capes and the bouncy castle and, the, and, and Batman, that actually happened, I had Batman show up to my son's birthday, are they even going to remember this? Thank God for Facebook and, and Instagram, come on somebody. 
But I often wonder what memories they're going to remember. I, I look back at my life now in my 40s, and it's amazing what memories stick and which ones don't. When I was 12, my, my parents decided to take us to Florida, to Disney World, when I was 12. Now, I don't understand why my parents did it this way, probably because of vacation time or because of cost, but we went to Florida in August. Who does that? You know, like we drove from Halifax to Orlando in August, in August to Florida. Like, I don't know who does that, but it gets better. Not only did we do that, I remember it was a, it was a Pony, I think it was a 1986 Pontiac 6000. Some of you don't even know what that is. Just, it's, it's pretty much a Kleenex box on wheels is what it was. And it was black, a black car in August. Had no air conditioning in this thing. Five of us in this car, and the windows in the back only went down halfway. I remember that. I remember on the way back, we stayed at this hotel in Virginia Beach, and there was a pool that was inside and outside. You could swim under. I thought that was cool. I remember that. I remember the drive. I remember these billboards for this, I think it was like, Juan John Surf Shop everywhere down the coast. Of, I remember, do you know what I don't remember about that trip? Disney. <laughs> True story. I have not one memory of Disney on that trip. Probably the most expensive part. You got to get a mortgage just to get tickets for Disney. If you've been there, parents, you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't have one memory. I've been thinking about this this week. I don't have one memory. I don't remember the castle. I don't remember any of the characters. I, don't, I couldn't tell you where we stayed. I couldn't tell you what rides we went on. I have no memory. I've been to Disney since. I've seen Disney. I have no memory as a child of walking through those gates, of seeing the beautiful hedges, of the happiest place on earth with the perfect streets. I have no memory of Disney World at all. I had heat stroke, apparently, from the car. You know what memory I do remember? I remember being 12, and I had this project on killer whales. I know you're thinking, what's the poipus? <laughs> uh, true story, I remember being 12, and uh, um, this project, you remember grade six? Remember grade six of projects? Like, it was always Bristol board, yeah. right? And if you were very creative, you got, other than white, you get neon colors. Back then, they didn't have neon colors. It was white or blue or red. That was all you had. And, and we had Bristol board, and then you had to put color, uh, colored crayons and pencils, and you had to do it up, and then you had to put pictures all over it, tape pictures all over it, and then you had to do a four-page write-up on killer whales. Come on, you had to do four pages. How many know that was the toughest four pages? You just, whatever you had to do, I, my writing, I would like double space. I, I would never put words together. It was like cannot. It was never can't. It was always can't. Like you're stretching it out as much as you possibly can to fill four pages on killer whales. That was the project, and I put it off till the night before. My parents were out. My, I don't know where my siblings were, but I remember being home. I remember this moment like it's yesterday. I had this panic, and my parents were the good parents. Middle class, worked hard. Dad had three jobs, but they had bought us encyclopedias. Where are the youth at? Encyclopedias was the internet of our day. It was this book, and they had all these. They don't even know this. There was this book, and everything we knew was in books. And you spent three or four or five hundred bucks, and a salesman came to your door. I don't know how he got them to your door with, I don't know what he used, but these heavy books came in, and everything the world knew was in these books maps, information. So you, you had to go to a library or you had encyclopedias. There was no internet. If you didn't know anything, you couldn't Google it. Do you remember those? How many remember those days? Like if you're thinking, what other movie was that guy in? You couldn't Google it. It would bother you for years. Do you remember that going? 
who was the, that was like, now it's like, oh, I can't even wait. Who, what, you Google, what movie was the guy that was in Transformers in? It'll come up. Then you had to ask, remember that guy? Well, I don't know. Oh, I know it was something. And then a year later, you're watching Turner and Hooch on TV, and you're like, that's the movie he was in. You remember that? What song was that? What song? I used to listen to the radio trying to find that one song. You couldn't download music. Do you remember, if you didn't know what the capital of Florida was, you didn't know. If your parents didn't know, if you didn't have encyclopedias, you just didn't know. It's Tallahassee, by the way. How do I know? Because I Googled it. We had the encyclopedias, and I opened up the encyclopedias, and I had this panic the night before doing this, and I work good under pressure. And I'm doing this, this project on killer whales, and to my horror, as I open up the encyclopedia, there is one small picture of a whale from Danger Bay, if anybody remember that TV show. Papa Whiskey Fox was the helicopter's code name. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about because I'm old. And Jonah and Danger Bay, and there was this whale, and then there was a small paragraph the size of this on killer whales. And I had that night to make that small paragraph into four pages. I had no pictures. The, the, the library was closed. There was no way to cut out pictures. There was no catalog in my house about killer whales. There was no, I, I was, pan and I remember that moment being struck with the first time that I remember, I think it was a panic attack. I've had some since, but that was the first time in that moment I felt like there was a weight on my chest. I felt like I, I could cry. I, I felt like I was overwhelmed. I felt like I was drowning emotionally. I just remember feeling at that moment so overwhelmed, I didn't know. I just couldn't think about the next day. I didn't know what I was going to do next, and I didn't, I, I couldn't, I was paralyzed with emotions. It's amazing what memories stick with you, isn't it? Uh, I would kind of be ashamed of how often I think about that memory. I won't say weekly, but it's pretty close. That memory comes back. And I've had that feeling since in my life with different situations. I had it the first time I was getting a mortgage. Do you remember this? I remember when the inspection wasn't ready to go through, but the mortgage rate was locked in, but that was going to fall through, and I had this weight on my chest. It's amazing. I've had that feeling since the Killer Whale Project. Some of you, maybe you know what I'm talking about with you felt anxiety or worry or stress or maybe even depression. Maybe for you it's a lot more serious than killer whales. Some of you it's relationally where maybe it's your marriage. You've gone through marriage and you've navigated divorce and separation and the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the panic, maybe even depression from that. Maybe it's relationships. Some of you even recently have lost loved ones and that grief and emotion and processing all those Maybe it's finances where you thought there's no way out and this bill is due and, and there's not enough and that weight and that stress. And some of you, it's health, diagnosis. Maybe it's something and you're dealing with fear going, I don't know what this is, that doesn't feel right. Or maybe you got a doctor's report and even today you're navigating, you're navigating stuff that you can't cope with and you're on the outside, you're sitting here, but on the inside you feel like you are under pressure of anxiety and fear. I, I've never seen a season more in my life when more people are struggling with this. In fact, May was called, I didn't know this until recently, May was Mental Health Month. And I've never seen it addressed more. Even personally, I've been, I was, me and Nancy were doing the math the other night. I, I traveled for two years preaching full time. I had the honor of going into churches and conferences and camps. And I counted it up. And in two years, I spoke to over 50,000 people. And I want to let you know the number one request for prayer by far, was usually anxiety or depression. There was this one conference. There were 3,000 teenagers at it, and I did a call for this. 
and 900 came forward out of 3,000. In my own life, I've never had to navigate my own emotions, fear, pressure like I have in this last season of my life. I believe the Bible speaks to this today. Today I want to encourage you. Today's a little different than maybe uh, a normal message in the last eight months, but I believe the Bible speaks to this. We want to help you today with God's plan for your life. I, I, I do believe in the use of doctors and medicine. The Bible says God made us body, soul, and spirit. Made us body, made us emotions and soul and personality, and made us spirit. And I believe God uses many things to reach all three. Sometimes Christians get really weird about medication when it comes to things like depression or even mental health. And, you know, it's interesting to me when people say that, why is it sometimes in the faith community we get really weird about medicine when it's from the neck up, but we have no problem with medicine from the neck down? When a joint is hurt or blood pressure's up or maybe there's some cholesterol, we have no problem popping pills. But the second, and doctors say this will help get things leveled to give you a fighting chance to get back. And then you've got to change your diet and some activity. But, let, but why is it sometimes in the faith community when it's the neck up, we're like, man, you've got to have more faith. I want to let you know it's my belief that God will use doctors, you will use medicine. I believe in that. And some of you, you're, you're in that place right now. I want to let you know God can use a lot of things. I thank God for intelligent people that God is using in the medical field. And I believe in therapy and counselors. I believe in sometimes just to be able to share and unpack some things. I believe in that. And you know what else I believe in? I believe in the power of God. And I believe in his spirit. And I believe in what this Bible says. And it speaks to our mental health, our emotions, anxiety, and that pressure that we're under. I believe it speaks to that. I believe a life of faith and following Jesus works in all seasons. I believe it works in our lives when things are going well and when things are challenging. I believe that. I believe that the power, there's power in following Jesus and the Bible speaks to it. I won't ask for a raise, I won't ask for a show of hands today, but I would challenge you and I would be sure to say that many of us are navigating pressure. I've never seen more 13-year-olds saying, I'm distressed. That wasn't in my vocabulary at 13. But yeah, I just had a rough week. I'm stressed out, man. And they mean it. You know, there was actually this study, and I've shared it before. I came across that the same stress, right now stress, that young men going to high school are in the same stress when they scan their brains as young men going to war years ago. Same levels on the brain scan. Isn't it interesting? I have some theories on why that is, but today I want to speak to what the Bible says, how we can help you today, young person. Mom, dad, grandparent, if you're feeling under pressure. A couple things real today to help you. If you're feeling under pressure, you're taking notes. This will be encourage you to say, number one, know the seasons. Know the seasons. Here's what I've realized in my life. Life is made up of many seasons. But sometimes, say, if you're feeling under pressure or in those moments when you feel under pressure, you can feel like it'll always be like this. Gone through too many funerals recently for people that, thought that the season wouldn't pass. And they thought there was no tomorrow, there was no hope. I want to let you know today that there are many seasons to life. That if you're in a moment right now, if you're under pressure, you need to know the Bible says it's only a season, it will pass. Ecclesiastics 3, 1 to 8, says it this way. There's a time for everything. For everything, there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to harvest. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build up. A time to cry, a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to turn away. A time to search, a time to quit searching. A time to keep 
a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. I want to encourage you today, and some of you just need to have this hope come into your spirit today and grab a hold of this, that this is just a season. Life is just a season. Life is made up of many seasons. The Bible says when hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick, and nothing gets rid of hope quicker than going, it'll always be like this, it'll never change, I'm stuck in this moment. I want to let you know today, if you're going through some pressure today, it's just a season. My mother always said, the sun will come up tomorrow. When we buried good friends, or when I didn't do so well on an exam, or if I was going through a relationship heartbreak in my single years, my mother would walk in and raise the blind, and she said every morning, rise and shine, and I'd say, I might rise but I might not shine today. And she said, Michael, the sun will come up tomorrow. Every day the sun will come up tomorrow. What she was saying is what you're in right now is just a season. Hang on. Sometimes surviving is thriving. And if some of you are in it right now under pressure, can I encourage you? Sometimes the biggest thing of faith you can do is just hang on and know the seasons will change. It's like summer was on Friday this year. Then the seasons changed. (laughs) And we're back into fall. Seasons. If you're in a challenging season, know it's not final. This too will pass. The teen years are just a chapter. It can feel like it's forever dealing with all the, new, all the nuances and all the changes and relationships and people and, and jobs and schooling and tests. The teen years, if you're older, you know it's just a chapter. When you're in your 20s or maybe even 30s trying to find the right career and navigating relationships, and it can feel like it's everything and it's never going to pass and you can't figure it out. It's just a chapter. It's just a season. Some of us raising young kids, you're like, oh, man, I just, I just pass out every night in bed energy and trying to figure out how to do this. And I want to let you know, grandparents can attest to this, that empty nesters can attest to this, that it's just a season, just a chapter. Pressure isn't permanent. It will pass. Philippians 3, it says this in verse 13 and 14. It says, Oh, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I want to let you know there's more ahead than behind you. Eternity is ahead. Life is ahead. I want to let you know there's more chapters ahead. And a chapter does not make a book. And some of you are judging your life on a chapter, but I want to say, turn the page. There are more chapters in your life. Some of you have gone through marriage or divorce. You've gone through separate, you've gone through some things. Listen, it does not define you. Let you know life is full of seasons. It's just a chapter, and you can turn the page. Some of you are going through grief, and you need to grieve, and grief is natural, but grieving will eventually turn into dreaming. Why? Because there are many chapters into life. And who you grieve for tomorrow, yesterday, you'll remember tomorrow, and you'll build off of their life and what they imparted to you. And this is just a chapter. It's just a season. Look forward with hope today. I want to let you know today, if you're under pressure, some of you just need to know that what you're in is not permanent. It's just a season. It will pass. The second point today I want to speak to you to encourage you if you're under pressure today is choose to fail. Isn't that so positive? Choose to fail. I've had the privilege of being mentored by one of the greatest ministers of our generation, a woman named Jeannie Mayo in her 60s now, late 60s, and a bunch of youth pastors sitting around in her house one day and leaders, and she pulled us aside and she leaned in and she goes, I want to let you know right now, if you're going to make it long term, if you're going to win this battle, 
called ministry and life and legacy, you have to learn where to fail. I never forget hearing that and understanding that because I was always taught you win at all costs and don't let anybody down and you've got to do everything and you've got to be great at everything. And she's no, no, you have to learn where you're going to fail. She said this, if, if you don't choose where to fail, you'll fail where you don't choose. If you don't choose where you're going to fail, you'll fail where you don't choose. There's a lot of truth in that statement. In Matthew 12, Jesus here in verse 46 He has started his ministry. His goal was the cross. He was building leadership pipeline to launch the church. He was getting ready on this journey, a three-year journey to go to the cross, to be the ransom for us so we can be reunited with God. Our sin and our father's and grandfather's sin separate us from God and built a wall. And his whole life was to build a bridge to join God and man. And the cross was that bridge. He says, someone's got to pay for this. And I'll pay it, though I'm innocent. I'll pay the price. I'll be the sacrifice. That was his mission. And in Luke, and in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, he's teaching his leaders, and he's on the way to die on the cross. And it says in verse 46, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak with you. Jesus asked, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of God, will of Father in heaven, is my brother and sister and mother. That's a tough verse to read the first time, especially as a parent. What do you mean, who is your mother? Come on, we're brothers. Brothers from the same mothers, family over everything. You know, it's interesting, Jesus knew he couldn't be everything to everyone. He was on a mission to rescue mankind from sin. He wasn't denying the importance of family in this case, but he was highlighting the need to choose where you pour your life out. I'll be honest, this is a tough one today, but we're talking about under pressure. I want to help somebody in this room that you feel under pressure mentally, emotionally, stress-wise, that I've realized there will always be more need than there is time. Have you realized that yet? There will always be more need than there is time to meet it. And Jesus was trying to teach us something here. You know what's interesting? We read in the Bible about everybody that Jesus healed. Read it again with fresh eyes of everyone Jesus didn't heal. There are stories, multitudes of people Jesus walked by for one person, and we tell the stories about Jesus raising the dead. But we don't document or talk about the hundreds who were in need that he walked past. In fact, there's one story where we catch a glimpse where he's going to heal this little girl that was sick. She was 12. And this woman who had been bleeding, internally bleeding, for years, 12 years, he, he didn't stop for her. He wasn't looking for her. He was on his way to reach this girl. And this woman goes, he's not going to stop for me. I have to go stop him. And there's a truth there I don't got time to. But listen, you can chase God. But in that moment, he wasn't looking for needs to meet. He was on a mission. Listen, there are people that Jesus didn't stop for. John the Baptist, he said, Jesus said, no one has greater faith. He's not living in sin. He's full of faith. There's no one like him. And he was in prison about to be beheaded. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to help him right now. I'm going to see him in eternity. It's amazing to me when I read scripture that Jesus knew what his mission was. And he realized there's, always, there's more need than there is time. Jesus knew his purpose was the cross, and his effort and his crowd reflected that. If Jesus had met every need, he never would have made it to the cross. 
He never would have built a church that could take it when he died and rose again and went to heaven. The church wouldn't have been ready to lead into the next millennia and to build the church. If he had spent all his time with the need, he never would have built the call. I read this and I realize, well, you know, sometimes you need to plan where to fail. If everything is important, nothing's important. My dad, I love my parents. I love how they adapt and to technology. My father was always an early adapter. My father had a record player in his car when he was a teenager. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> Think about the quality of that sound. He had, a, he had a record player and a TV in his car. They both have iPhones now. And once in a while, my father will get the caps button stuck on when he's texting me. And he'll text me with all the caps on. It's like he's shouting at me. You ever get someone that does that? It's like everything's important, so nothing's important. But how many know the right highlighted word can emphasize something? If everything's important, nothing's important. Let me ask you today. Some of you need to plan where you're going to fail in life. Let me tell you where I've chosen not to fail. In the middle of me navigating my own mental well-being and my spiritual calling on my life, knowing that this Bible works for me in dealing with stress and anxiety and navigating pressure, here's where I've decided I will not fail because if I don't choose where to fail, I'll fail where I don't choose. I've chosen not to fail my faith. I've chosen not to fail my family. By the way, these are in order. I've chosen not to fail my purpose. And I've chosen not to fail my emotional well-being. That means there's a lot of places I will fail at. And I'll try and I'll give effort when I can. But if it comes down to it, that is where my focus is. That's where my purpose is. That's what gets my energy and my passion and my time. Why? Because I can meet everything and fail everything. What would it purpose the man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, his own well-being? What would it profit to reach a city and lose my kids? What would it profit to help everyone's marriage but lose my own? What would it help to pour myself out for many but be home in a mental breakdown of my own? I want to encourage you today. You're quiet today, but I think you're processing. Choose where to fail. Some of you are doing everything and accomplishing nothing. There are some people that need help, but not from you. That's hard to say, isn't it? There are some battles that are important, but they're not yours to fight. That's why we have the body of Christ. What's your battle to fight? might not be my battle to fight, but together we're going to win this war because you have certain battles. There are some in this, in, in this room that your, your, your battle is influence of culture, whether it be media or music or the arts. That's your battle. That's not my battle to fight. You're going to fight that battle, and that's your battle. Some of us, it's ministry in the four walls of church and reaching people in this way. That's our battle. Some of you, it's just to be the best mom or dad you can be. That's your battle. My battle is not to raise your kids, but that's your battle. Many battles, but some of us are fighting battles that we were never called to fight. That means I fail in other arenas, and I have to be okay with that. I'm getting okay with letting people down because I have to learn where I'm going to fail. Some of you are pouring your life out for everyone and then you just break down at the end of the day and there's nothing left. Can I encourage you, don't fail your faith. Don't fail your purpose. Jesus said, I love, God so loved the world he gave his son, but he knew he had to win the war, not get lost in the battles. My war is my kids and my marriage and my faith. And I don't want to win many battles of being known in our city, having Instagram followers, having a large church and lose the war that I was called to win. I encourage you, Jesus won the war so we could fight many battles and win our war. 
God's called us to a war of faith, a war of purpose. There's a challenge, there's a call on your life. Find out what that is, and that's where your focus is. That's where your prayers, your efforts, your money, your sleep, that's where everything goes towards that. Some of you need to plan where you're going to fail. Number three, I believe this is going to help somebody today. Number three, there is gain in the pain. My kids are at that age where they're getting growing pains. It's more than a TV show with Kirk Cameron. It's actually a real thing and growing pains. And when we see our kids get growing pains, we get really excited. Because we, we, we love Nancy. We just don't want our kids to be the same height as Nancy. <laughs> You're the shortest now. They've already passed her. Thank you, Jesus. Every night I pray for my son's legs. Grow in Jesus' name. I pray for my daughter. Stop growing because she just keeps she's, like, be little, be little. But my kids get growing pains. And when we get growing pains, we get excited. Why? Because we know pain equals gain. I remember being a teenager laying in bed praying for my legs to grow. Praying that I would feel growing pains. Why? Because the pain equals gain. Do you know it's the same thing with your spirit? Recently, I started looking at trials as weights to lift, not pressures to avoid. This has been a game changer in my life. Because part of me, when I feel pressure or I feel weight, I wanted to run from it, go, no, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Tell the bank not today. Tell the devil not today. Tell the mailman not today. Tell that leader not today. Tell that pressure not today. And I started looking at it instead of a, a, a pressure to avoid, a weight to lift. Everybody that goes to the gym will tell you, you get gains by the amount of weight you lift. My mother told me a story of going to the gym, and my mom's very active, and there's this one guy that comes to the gym, and he always wore a dress shirt, and he had the... Uh, whatever that, the fly machine, I'm not even sure what that's called. As you can tell, I go to the gym a lot. And he never put any weight on it. He would just sit there all for like an hour and just do this. It's like a seal. You know, you know like no weight. Just, and she's like, he wasn't actually doing anything. Why? Because you know that you've got to get some weight. You've got to get some pain before you get some gain. I want to let you know today, as I, I want to encourage you, there is some gains in the pain that we're going through. If you start looking at things differently, I start looking at situations, tough situations going, I think there's some gain in my life, in my toughness, in my grit level, in my faith, in my determination, in my compassion. There is something I can learn here to be a better father, husband, pastor. I can learn from this situation to be a better man. There are gains in this pain. Some of you are under pressure today, but instead of avoiding it, what if we leaned into it? Jesus in Luke Two, he's 12. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12. And he's getting ready to disappear for 18 years uh, to, to, be, to be in a hidden place of just growing through his teenage years and early 20s. We, we read about Jesus till age 12, and then we read nothing about him until he's in his early 30s. And in 18 years, he's hidden. But in, in age 12, we pick it up here in Luke 2.51. Jesus is navigating. He's starting to realize, I know I'm called to rescue man and be the ransom. I am here to die on a cross. At 12, he's navigating. He was fully God and fully man, and he's navigating the emotions and the pressure and also the divinity that he is under. And in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 51, they lost him for a while. His parents lost Jesus for three days. Some of you feel bad for including a lunch. Jesus' parents lost him. You know, where's Jesus? They lost Jesus. In 51, they found him in the temple preaching and teaching, and they said, come on, you got to come with us. And it says in 51, he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother stored all these things in her heart, 52. Jesus grew in wisdom 
and in stature and in favor with God and all people. You know what happened there? Jesus chose to grow. Can I let you know growth in your spirit is a choice? We have churches full of immature people that never grew beyond infants spiritually. They're moody. They're selfish. Babies are supposed to be selfish. They can't walk. You change their diaper. You feed them. You get, but we have some problem is spiritually in my life, there's been times where I've been immature or stunted in my growth because I want what I want when I want it. Jesus at that moment chose to embrace the struggle and the pressure and he submitted to his mother. He submitted to authority. I think that's fascinating. The weight of submission to a parental authority grew him so he could submit to divine authority. The weight of submission. Submission is a weight. Some people, you tell them what to do, they don't want to hear it. There will always be someone in charge. Have you realized that yet? I don't care how, what level you get in life. There's always, if you're like, man, I got my own businesses. No, it's called the government. They'll come in and say, you got to pay these taxes or not, you're going to jail. You better submit. Submission. Jesus submits for 18 years and then he comes back on the scene at this wedding. And his mother says, there's a problem. They rent out a wine and I got all this water. This is people that are close to me. Jesus, do something. She calls all the servants over and goes, whatever he says, just do it. He says, woman. He actually says this, woman. This is not my time. What does your concern have to do with me? I suggest you don't say that to your mother. Do not call your mother woman. <laughs> woman. Next time your mother wakes you up, teenagers. Okay, woman. What does your concern have to do with me? It's not my time. You can quote Luke. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because the sun will shine tomorrow, but maybe not for you. <laughs> he says, woman, it's not my time. I'm not ready to start my ministry. I'm still preparing myself emotionally, spiritually, physically. I'm not ready for this ministry. I'm going to be called to the desert, and that's what will start my ministry. And his mother says, hush, do what he says. And it's interesting, in that moment, he submits himself to his mother's authority one more time. Those 18 years of being hidden are book, book end and, 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 and started and finished it with obedience to his mother. Isn't that interesting? Because he knew what he did in private set him up for public. If he could lift the weight of submission in private, he'd have no problem following God in public. Then you fast forward at the end of three years, he's in the garden getting ready to go to the cross and you read the prayer. He's going, I don't want to do this. This is too hard. Some of those picture Jesus like he's this robot. He was struggling with his humanity. He was feeling pressure, so much pressure. He was sweating drops of blood. I've passed blood, but I've never sweat blood. And he is under this pressure, and he's saying, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's another way, can we look at another option? And his father goes, no, no, you are the plan. And he says this, okay. Not my will, but yours. Before he carried the weight of the cross, he carried the weight of obeying his parents. And he gained in private before he won the war in public. And Jesus looked at pressure as not something to avoid, but something to grow him. The problem I have right now in our culture is we're in a culture of avoidance. This is one of the, one of the problems I have with legalizing marijuana. Some of you are like, we're talking about this in church. Oh, we're going to talk about a lot of things in church. This is one of the problems I have with marijuana. It's teaching our generation to avoid pressure instead of coping with pressure. Man, if I, just, if I just get, man, rough week at school, man, got those exams, got a project on killer whales. Who does that, man, if I can just get, if I can just get high? And we have 30-year-olds that can't cope with not getting that promotion at work because somewhere they never learned to build that muscle of disappointment and navigating life, and they never learned that there was gains in the pain. 
And they wonder why when their first fight in their marriage, they walk out, or the first time things don't go their way. Listen, there are, we avoid things instead of leaning into it. That's my problem, one of the problems I have. Another problem I have is I see more and more people going, if I can just get a, a beverage at night to take the edge off after a long day, I just need that glass. And what I'm saying is I can't cope. They say, I just I can't even. I can't even. I just need a glass. I can't even. And what they're saying is I can't cope. I need something to help me take the edge off. I want to let you know today. I think sometimes we're, we're, we're neglecting the chance to have gains in the pain. I'm thankful for our parents that let me lose and be disappointment. I'm actually thankful for heartbreak. I'm thankful for things that went bad because I've learned. I'm thankful for killer whale projects. I'm thankful for mortgages. I'm thankful for things I've had to go through. Why? Listen, in the last seven months, I am stronger than I was seven months ago. If you knew me, things that would have bothered me for a week, seven months ago, bother me for about two days now. I mean, like two days, yeah, something still bothered me because I'm not there yet, but I'm stronger. Why? Because I've learned it, not something to avoid. Man, if I can just, some people, it's entertainment. If I just go play video games and go see movies all day and they, they put their head under their covers with entertainment, if I can just avoid it instead of dealing with their marriage or dealing with their kids or dealing with their finances or dealing with what God is convicting them in their heart, can I encourage you, lean in, don't run from. There is gain in the pain. And what bothered me at 12 doesn't bother me, didn't bother me at 20. What was a factor at 20 wasn't a factor for me at 30. I have, still have pressure, but you know what's interesting? It would have crushed 20-year-old Mike, but not now. It's a pressure. And I'm believing in 10 years, I'll look back and go, I can't believe that bothered me. That opinion, that deadline, that bill bothered me in my 40s. Man, I've grown since then. Growth is a choice. And if Jesus chose to grow, we can choose to grow. So what do you lean on? Last point today is I'm almost done. Number four, cast it. First Peter 5, 7 in the NIV says this way, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. The original language, I studied this language this week, the original language of the word cast actually means to paint a picture of throwing your cares on Jesus, unloading, unburdening your cares. We're good maritimers, aren't we? We know how to skip rocks, right? As Nicole would say, it'd be wicked awesome to go skip some rocks. <laughs> Love when Nicole does the offering. We're maritimers, right? We know what it's like. Remember that game? Before we had Fortnite, remember the game? You'd see a floating pop bottle in the ocean. Like, who can hit that first? Remember that game? That's still really fun. 15-year-olds and 55-year-olds, that's a really fun game. And remember skipping rocks? How many skips can you get, right? Five, 20, whatever, right? There's this picture of taking your cares and your stress and your anxiety, and literally, it's a good maritime word, hucking it, right? Got to huck that rock. Just, right? It's not toss it. It's not just lay it down for a bit. Go catch your turn. I'll take it back. It's this picture of taking your cares and with everything you got going, hey, it's yours. The Bible paints a picture of our cares, our anxiety, our fears of not laying it down, but literally throwing it, unburdening it, unloading it onto Jesus. There is a picture here you need to get. Instead of turning to a glass or a joint or entertainment or avoiding, instead of going, there is a place we can turn that doesn't just delay it or just deny it, but it deals with it. The Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord. Let me read Philippians 4, 6 again. 
It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. My friends, pray about everything. What should you pray for? Everything. You know what prayer life looks a lot like now? Casting. It's not pretty. It's not our Father who arteth in heaven. It's like, oh God, what am I going to do? God, I don't know what to do. I'm stressed right now. How's that going to work out? I can't figure that out. God, I'm just feeling a lot of pressure right now. I need you to help me. I need you to make a way. I can't figure this out financially. I can't work this relationally. I'm not smart enough. And I, my prayer times look more like cries of help and taking things and start throwing it at Jesus. Yours. Marco Polo, yours. <laughs> Take it. Just huck it. Throw it. Cast it. Listen, don't worry about anything, but tell God everything. I want to encourage you today. We have someone who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He has said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we have someone we can turn on. This is God, not just the God of Sunday morning. He's the God of Monday morning. He's the God of when you open your mailbox and there are bills. He's the God when your teenagers are walking away from him and the way you raise them. He's that God. He doesn't fit in three songs and a cute message. He's the God of everything. And I realize when I'm feeling under pressure, if I start to throw it onto him, something happens. And that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead puts a buoyancy in my spirit and raises me up. If you're struggling today, and I've struggled with this, anxiety, depression, uh, fear, worry, let me challenge you. Are you throwing it on Jesus? You can vent it on Facebook or you can throw it to Jesus. There's a big difference in that statement. Venting on Facebook is not prayer. And what you get is not answers, you get pity. But I've learned in my private moment when I unburden myself and just start casting it under our helper, our Jesus, something starts to happen in my life. Transfer the pressure onto Jesus. Shift the weight. I love this place if we can stand to our feet today. We don't do this often at Nova, but today we are. I felt today I wanted to give a chance for a response to this. A chance to come for prayer. Even right now I have some leaders. If you can come, I identified yourself. If you can come stand up here for prayer. We're going to sing this song with the God that calms the waves. We don't have to live in fear. If you say, Mike, I'm going, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. I, I'm living for Jesus. But I would, if I'm honest today, I'm struggling with something. It might just be an anxiety that you're overwhelmed. Some of you, it's more than that. You live in a place of fear. You fear doctor's reports. You fear the next telephone call, the next text. You're living. Some of you, it's even in a darker place. It's more than just a bad week, a bad month. You've been in a bad season. And you'd even say, man, I'm, de I'm depressed. Like, I might be diagnosed, or maybe you haven't been, but you know you're in a rough place, and you're having some dark thoughts. Today, I believe we can cast it onto Jesus. And you can leave here lighter in your spirit. You can leave here more buoyant in your heart. You can leave here knowing seasons change. You can leave here knowing I got new priorities. I'm going to plan where I'm going to fail. You can leave here knowing there is gain even in this season of pain. I can grow in my relationships and my faith. And you can also know you have someone you can cast it on. Today, these people, they're not going to counsel you. They're not going to ask you questions. They're just going to pray for you. And I believe a miracle can happen as we cast it together onto Jesus, a likeness to your spirit. As we get ready to play this song softly, if that's you today, you might be on our dream team. You might be at our soundboard. You might be on this stage. You might be sitting in our seat. You're like, Mike, I just need some prayer today. I need to cast some things on my Jesus today.
I want you to respond to this altar and let us believe with you that today we can leave here buoyant in our spirit, breaking through that pressure to new levels, what God has for you in every area of your life. Amen. Father, right now, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you that you're not giving us a spirit of fear or depression or anxiety or worry. We don't have to worry about anything, but pray about everything. And God, today we rely on you. You're not just the God of the songs and God of the message. You're the God of the stress. You're the God of the storm. You're the God of the struggle. And God, under pressure, Father, we cast it onto you right now. God, I pray you do what only you can do in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name.